Hello and welcome to the 168th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they're to start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Shooty Fruity by Near Light. Ben and Paul, who Hello. are you? And what do you do? <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's the first so we've been one. Working, we've been, we've been, uh, so I'm Paul. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm Ben, hello. So, so we've been making games together for 21 years now, which seems like an incredibly long time. And, uh, and we run a company called Neolite, which we're based in Brighton. And uh, we, we set that up. Ooh, 18 months ago. 18 months ago. And, and before that, we spent a long time running a studio down here called uh, Zoe Mode, where we used to make all, all manner of games um, as a work-for-hire developer. So we, we worked on a lot of you know, casual party games, starting off with things like all the iToy games, and if you remember them, and then oh, yes. things like um, things SingStar, Guitar Hero, You're in the Movies, which was a very... Um, early camera game for Microsoft, which no one ever bought. Um, uh, and then Zumba franchise. Zumba franchise. We worked on that. So we basically did lots of big mass market, um, non-hardcore games that taught us lots of things like dancing, um, boring dancing, Zumba, singing. Playing with plastic guitars. Playing with plastic guitars. Plastic drum kits. And in between that, we did a couple of you know, um, reasonably... Well received, um, little indie titles, things like Crushed. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes, which, uh, yes. Was very well received. No one bought it. Back in 2007. Um, and, and then PS3, uh, also Parastar Golf. Right. We did yeah. that for uh, the launch of the Xbox and Microsoft. But um, yeah, so we were up until about 18 months ago, we were running that studio. But then we had decided over that you know, 14 years doing that that uh, you know we wanted to get back hands on again. So we decided to ditch all of that, set up a new studio with just the two of us, um, get some of the guys we've worked with for a long time to you know, join yeah. us, and uh, started making VR games. It's, uh, I think they're wonderful. I mean, there's, there's some terrific games, including Shooty Fruity, of course. That's why you're here. Thank you. Um, but, um, you know, Super Hot was, is a lovely game that I remember playing yeah. about two years ago on, as a regular sort of flat game. People call them flat games. That's strange. Uh, and that's a wonderful, wonderful game in, in VR. And I think there's lots of um, uh, it's really coming to the fore. And having it at home is lovely. It's just nice. Like you know what? I'm just going to vanish for an hour or so and just you know experience a Jeff Minter game for a bit, if you don't mind. <laughs> Which is really quite intense, but it's good. It's good, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to, to delve into. But before we go into that how did you make your start making flashy lighty video games oh so this is 96 so we started on flight sims back in 96 before yeah i had no floating points then it's just it yeah very not i don't know how to describe it yeah i mean it was pre i mean it's when game studios had their own engines rather than using unity or unreal as we do nowadays so ben would do the artwork by plotting it on graph paper and then reading off the coordinates and then typing that into well, an engine. Plotting well, each vertex. Each vertex, yeah. Um, Individually, yeah. 
and uh, graphics cards just come out. And they were so big they couldn't fit inside your PC yeah. pre DirectX days. Um, but straight from university, when it was you know it was quite you know it was still possible to go and and get a job without you know relatively easily at that those days um, in the games industry. Uh, that's something which we're, tr we're trying to do now in the studio is actually start giving opportunities to younger kids and we got some of them involved in in shooty fruity um one of the designers involved you know decided that you know he was straight out of a levels um but was super enthusiastic so uh um part of the the, the thing we want to do when we set this new studio studio is actually try and uh, give a little bit back to um people and give them the opportunity that we had and were lucky enough to have back in 96. i suppose the other side is we are we do feel sometimes quite old now yeah and definitely <laughs> having you know working with uh, as wide a sort of age group as as possible is really important to us because you know we all have our opinions but sometimes as you when you've been doing it for such a long time you get almost stuck in a rut um and you want to kind of you need challenges and to, you need therefore you need different voices and different opinions and different experiences so that's been quite an exciting thing working you know we've got a really mixed team that you know there's obviously Paul and I but then you've got a sort of a cross, whether it's in code or audio or special effects. These are all people that we've worked with before that have helped make Shooty Fruity. Um, but then working with people like Harry um, has been brilliant in the sense that he he's he doesn't have any sort of baggage or preconceptions. He just loves games. So he's been able to bring a real sort of fresh injection to sort of the, the pacing and the humour. And I suppose the expectation of what we want our game and game players to experience. That's that's really important because the amount of times I've actually found myself, I go into a show like PAX or something like that and this developer, half my age, sort of bounces up and thing, and I've got this game and he looks, shows it to me and I go, yeah, they did that 30 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, this, you know, and, and, and you, you, I find myself it under my breath. You go, what? So, nothing. I didn't say anything. But, you know, you, they... It's just like stories. There's only six of them, or something, isn't there? And yeah. it's it's it, it, it just like it's a, that's okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you break stories down like that, then it's just going to be, you know, it seems to be have any meaning to it. Of course they do. Just like games. Yes, there's probably only a limited sort of. You could probably shuffle things, but what's the point? Why do that? And you're mm. right to have someone who have a completely fresh idea who hasn't been playing games since 1975. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's speaking for myself. It's just you know, they have a fresh outlook. I never really thought of it like that. You know, they, yeah. they'll, they'll question something like, "Why is it like?" Cause it just yeah. is. Well, I think it's just very useful if you, yeah. if you, you know, as a studio, if we mix up the, the ages of people, you you do see, you know, it's you have. I think it's an industry which is which hasn't managed to mature enough yet. It's so new. You haven't had people probably retire. You know, maybe people retiring from games industry, but. Um, you've got a lot of people who are now who've been in it for 20 years who bring a lot of experience to it and I think it's our responsibility to bring up that next generation of of games developers um, you know share with them our experiences but also there's a lot to learn for how we how we used to make stuff back in you know the, the 90s or the 80s even when we were you know in those early days um, that we've got to make sure that they they learn understands so they can because a lot of the, the games back then there are reasons that sometimes technical limitations which would force you your design down a certain route which don't exist now but they was very useful i think and we found you know sometimes having those limitations because they force you to think about how you're developing a game slightly differently whereas if you've got you know 
if you can do anything, it's very easy to just, you know, um, try and throw everything at a game um, and not actually end up with something that's coherent and uh, and good. So that's that's been one of the nice things I think we found about doing stuff in VR as well is there are those limitations, mm. and it forces you to, you know, think about how you're going to um, address limitations, whether it's with the controllers, whether it's with um, trying to make sure people aren't motion sick, whether it's the it, how people are interacting with the game in terms of you know, menu systems. Um, they, it's been refreshing over this last year of just having these problems which had effectively been solved for several years, um, for the last decade or so, but now you've got to resolve them in a way that's very different because people are in- interacting with the game very differently. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, I think it's quite fascinating how, you're right, 30 years ago, everyone struggled with, you know, they had no memory. That was typically the thing that they really couldn't, they were fighting with. There's this lack of RAM. There wasn't anything. There's many yeah. other things as well, but let's try to be, let's not go too far. There's process of, or lack of um, power and that too. But grab RAM. Now you get situations where you're playing a game. Why is it slowing down? Oh, it's a memory leak. But you only find that out after three hours of play because your your computer has like bajillions of <laughs> gigabytes. I'm just filling up. I'm, I just you know you know. I mean, I'm I'm talking to you on a machine that's got 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's obscene. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's just it's almost you know bottomless pit of of RAM. Like why? It's because of video. But anyway, it's it's it, and now you're in a situation where you have to either. Do one of two things: either you choose a platform that still has those limitations, like you're describing with VR, or go on a platform and go. Well, we could make Star Citizen, (laughs) 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 or we could actually forcibly create barriers for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be here for thousands of years. And uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting um, place to be. And you're right: is is the media maturing? I do believe it is. We'll be blind to say it isn't. Um, there's been some wonderful games that have released in the last 10 years that have shown that you can do video games on very odd topics and mm. not all video games need to be fun either that's a thing but let's not go there <laughs> I mean that's what we'd love I think we, we always talk about it internally it would be, be you know as, a, as game developers you're always stuck between yeah, you need to make a game that's commercial if it's your if it's the, the, the you know what, what pays for you to yeah, your mortgage and um, puts food on the table, but and sometimes you know you always have some creative games you want to make, but deep down you know is there an audience for it? And I think if you can split those, you know, get those hit both those points, then I think you know it's, it's great. But it's always a, it's always a challenge um, for us, and we have you know we always keep lists of the games we'd love to make that no one wants to buy just now, and the ones which people potentially do want to buy, but you know. Um, maybe on our preferred genre and we do try and keep away from a lot of you know and one of the reasons shooty food is try and not do what other people are doing all the time and make something which can have the biggest possible audience and so i think you know since we became parents back in yeah the early 2000s. noughties um we've always had an eye on you know making games which we can share with our our kids and and they can experience as well which is why you know shooty fruity was a perfect um example of that I do find it amusing and having to remind people, certainly of my age, is like, you do know 90s or 20 years ago. No, no. wait. <laughs> oh, we, we, we employed someone who's only just um, born in 98, so that's always been quite terrifying every time when we realise that, uh, yeah, 
we were we were making games before and when we start and we'd start talking to people that work for us and we're going oh i made that one and they're going oh yeah you know, some of the i toy play games and they're going oh, i remember playing that when i was three and uh <laughs> and now they're working with us which is quite, quite terrifying how quickly just, it goes it just is but um yeah, it's looking back like that. It is quite terrifying. You have to remind people that the Xbox 360 came out about 11 years ago. No, no, no. oh wait, <laughs> and this, it, it did. And you know, it's now considered you know, or the PlayStation 3 or the PS2 is very much a retro machine. No, oh, <laughs> oh god, it is. It can't be. It can't be. But that's just the way things go, and it's good. I think it's good. So. You've delved, you've delved a bit in your past, and that's fantastic, yep. mate. Coming from the flight sims to where you are now is, is an interesting story. But uh, I want to know what your influences are as creators, which is a nebulous question, so let me help you answer it. What I'm trying to get at here is you're both creators. You've been mm-hmm. doing this for many years. What do you think is the thing you keep orbiting or the thing that keeps you going? Well, I mean, you go first, Ben. I'll go first. Well, for me, it it comes down to one of the things. I think this is something that we've definitely learned and enjoyed through our time when we were running or at Zoe, and definitely applies to both things we've done as near like the first one was perfect, and this is obviously now we're doing shooty fruity, Um, and it all comes down to a very you want to convey a feeling of enjoyment and excitement for the player. And, uh, you know, and that could be something that they gain within, you know, five to 10 seconds, i.e. an immediate kind of feeling of fun or uh, escapism or whatever, or that could be something that lasts. To me, it it always comes back to being able to deliver fun. Um, And, you know, we've learned a lot about sort of condensing sort of conveying simple design mechanics and enjoyment and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's for me is... Is that where you want to do it? Yeah, yeah. genuinely. And, and you know, uh, you know, talking about Shooty Fruity um, in VR, to me, when we were making Shooty Fruity and at EGX, I saw someone, someone said to me, they took, they took the headset off and they said, I felt like I was in a supermarket. And, and I was like, that, it was a massive tick for me. It was <laughs> All like, you want to do is make people feel like they're in a supermarket. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah. A, yeah. Okay. I mean, um, but the, to me, that's it's that it's transporting people people to different places and escaping things and just having some fun in a very simple way. Right. I guess the reason I, I've done it is you know, since I come out left university and started making games. It's one of those things which is hard to explain. I think to people that haven't really made it, you you, you want to be. Once you start doing something creative, it's very hard to go away and, and not want to be involved in a creative industry. I could never see myself not wanting to, you know, I'm, I come from a coding background and I, I'm writing the code now and there's nothing more. It's hard to, so I have to explain it to my wife quite a lot of, you know, why I might be up in the early hours of the morning trying to fix a bug or something like that, which, you know, when you explain to someone like that they say well why do you enjoy that but it's that satisfaction i think of just seeing something you've been working hard on whether you've been coding it doing it bring it all together as a team seeing it actually um working on the screen it's it's just it's, it's a feeling that's hard to replicate i think with a lot of other, other jobs i'm sure if you speak to musicians or you know or artists or something like that they they can understand what it's like but it just 
yeah, it, it's just a wonderful thing to do. And it becomes an obsession, really. And then when you do, you are lucky enough to to create a game and you know put it in front of an audience and they like it. Obviously, sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. Obviously, we're in a, an industry where we do end up, you know, all our endeavours over the course of a, you know, a year will be given a score out of 100 on Metacritic or something. But um, it's, it's just great to you know put something in people's hands and see them enjoy it. And I think one of the luxuries we've had and been um, you know, lucky with is some of the games we've been making have been aimed at a non-hardcore you know, audience, which means that I'm not saying, you know, maybe it's not that it's maybe not cynical. I don't want to call all hardcore gamers cynical because I don't, I don't think they are. But you can still wow some people. And, and VR was an opportunity to show that. You know, I could put it on, first time I remember putting, um, you know, my kids putting a vibe on their head. It was, it was like magic to them. It was something which they had just never experienced before. And, and seeing that just makes you want to be involved in it. Yeah, when I have guests around and uh, say, oh, would you like to fly next wing? Oh, all right, then. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> it's just astonishing what I love doing with VR when I put it on for the first time and to make you two, but I always look behind me. Yeah. Because it's just like, I don't want to know what does the artist think? I'll be, you know, what's the space? What's the space I'm in? And the best way to be accustomed to a new space you put on your head, which is now beamed into your eyes, is, I believe, is to look behind you. And you just, it's just a simple thing, but it's just, you know, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, and I think with VR as well, you just find that as soon as people, are, we, one of the things we found with Shooty Fruity is when people are playing it, because you've got the, um, your workstation in front of you, whether that's your scanning stuff or your your working in the canteen area and stuff, is at the end of it we still take it round to do some demos. People will finish, and even after about four minutes, the first thing they sometimes do is try and you know they're, they're tired. They lean on the counter in front of them, but that counter doesn't actually exist in real life, and, and they start tumbling. So we have to we know when the demo ends, and we have to kind of like catch them. Yeah. Ca- wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just because so, uh, you are sitting at that desk doing the scanning. But we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and that's cool. That's cool. Um, and it's wonderful that you. I, mean, I think you both sort of you, you, you're chasing of bugs. I can definitely empathise with that. It's. Uh, I find myself going, "Look, why would you do what I tell you to do?" And his response is, "I am." <laughs> that's the problem. And <laughs> just and and uh, and to actually chase the idea of, I want to entertain. And that's just wonderful. It's a great thing to be influenced by, to be driven by, to say, I simply want to entertain. What's wrong with that? Nothing. And, and that's why when we, you know, when we set up, the, you know, what part of the reason, you know, 18 months ago is we, we had moved in our careers to a position where we were, you know, managing teams and telling, you know, other people, you know, to do the stuff. But it just... Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's just something missing when we were doing that. We yeah. weren't, we weren't contributing. We, we, we weren't actually contrib- yeah. making or delivering those things. We were one step back, and I think it's, it's been probably the best thing we've ever done. Is just you know, throw that away and just get back up, yeah, you know, hands on, and uh, you know, one you teach yourself that you can still do it, which is good, mm-hmm. but also just to yeah, you know, to it, it, <laughs> get that passion back again, which I think you, it can go if you're dealing with spreadsheets and budgets and and things like that constantly you start to lose um lose focus and like oh i'm now staring at a spreadsheet since when did i become an accountant it happens to a lot of creatives and they find themselves um how can i put it adequate at managing others 
if they're adequate, that's it. They're, they're doomed. <laughs> but it's also, yeah, it's also the games. You know, we, we, I think we all know the last you know few years, games have taken a very yeah, you know, it's expanded. You know, you've got a lot more online stuff. You've got esports. You've got mobile stuff. But there's definitely been the case that I think in certain areas you've got games being made which aren't being made by gamers, and the passion's not behind them. It's maybe by people who are trying to figure out how they can monetize a game. You know, mm-hmm. how they can um, extract as much money from their yeah user base as possible. And I think that's something that's always been. Um, we've always wanted to do is you know make games that first and foremost people just enjoy and they, they enjoy being in that space and we're not trying to you know, exploit anyone. Yes, and it's a kind of a topical phrase. Uh, or, 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 There's no loot boxes in, uh, in Shooty Fruity, <laughs> by the way. But you can um, shoot them. You can shoot you boxes. Can shoot, yeah. But you can't actually get anything from them other than a sense of satisfaction for shooting them. Maybe we should have put some that come down the uh, the conveyor belt to you, so you could have uh, yeah yeah, yeah could have scanned them and then they, you know nothing happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been perfect. So next question is, um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, interesting. Um, who do I most admire in the industry? Right, I need to think about this one. Um, I should say Ben, shouldn't I? That would be it. Uh, no, it's not there. Uh, sorry, Ben. Uh, no, it's definitely not. Um, so I was always, I think the thing that, so it's probably, I'm not going to pronounce it wrong, Mitsuguchi. So I remember back in Sega Rally, Res, all of that thing. So that was a, yeah. a big informative period, I think, when I was just, I'd started in games and I was playing a lot every night. And they're the type of games which I just, I became slightly obsessed with. And I remember seeing a talk him in about oh god i'm gonna say it's about five years ago but it's probably about 15 i'll find now but it was just that passion again of just you know i think rares is an, is an amazing game which you know i just it, it was nothing was like that at the time when it came out and i loved the the games he's gone on and done you know everything he's kind of like worked on i always just look out for it and i just think someone who can jump between different genres but each time deliver something which is, you know, you can just tell that they're, how passionate they are as a developer and they're, they're putting it all out there really. And they just, you know, they probably haven't compromised on the game at all. And I think there's, a, there's definitely a period back in the, the late 90s where Sega was getting it spot on every time um, and release, you know, and it's the same as, you know, it's pretty easy to say, you know, it's something that Nintendo do, but I just, I think, any developer that will is willing to try something new and yeah um leave themselves open to whether you know, it's criticism or just you know rather than doing what everyone else is doing you know deserves some respect okay oh, for me for me it's me it is for me it, it, it actually comes back to it, the one game whenever I think about this it comes back to a game which was uh, Prince of Persia on the PS2 which is obviously an Ubisoft game um, and for me it's the game that I used to I used to get caught by my wife and I would sometimes just I wouldn't she'd come past and I'd be sitting there and I, I'd just be sort of walking around I'd have finished playing you know got through the various sort of puzzles and stuff and I'd just be looking around the world and obviously it's something they've now gone on to do 
with great effect in things like uh, Assassin's Creed. But for me at the time, on the PlayStation 2, it was just a massive technical and visual accomplishment to deliver some of those astonishingly beautiful worlds. So it, it, it's the one, it's the sort of the, that, that game and Ubisoft, I, you know, it has a moment in my heart where I used to just stop and look and just be sometimes in awe and just sort of be like, that is amazing. It um, is also hard, though, to kind of like identify, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Nowadays, when you've got maybe indie games where there's one person making them, you can identify an individual. But I think for a lot of the games, it's, it's there's such sometimes such a big team involved or so many groups of people. It's hard. I think um, we kind of like, yeah, maybe the industry tries to put a, a figurehead on those teams. But I think um, when you make games, you realize how many people on the team actually have an impact on it and maybe don't get called out. And it's something which I think happens a lot. And so it's hard to sometimes I think say, I like just the games by this one person. I think it's, you know, easy to say, you know, I like games by um, certain studios or certain teams within studios, I think is a lot, uh, an easier thing to. I mean, that's, you know, that, I mean, just apply, you know, just thinking about that. Flower, Journey, they're games which. Santa Monica Studios. Santa Monica Studios seem to be able to, just deliver, you know, great game after great game. And so in terms of us as, as game makers, they'd probably be, you know, up there with people that have definitely changed the way I've looked at, at games as a medium. And uh, um, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a really interesting, exciting point about development as well is the collaboration part of it. And I think it's something, you know, obviously over the last 18 months we've been doing that there's obviously our the team the people that we work directly with in near light and around near light but then our work with end dreams in terms of you know it as paul says it's not any one person it is that collective whole there have been lots of voices and opinions that you you find your way through and you things bubble to the top and it it becomes this collective kind of vision and um, dream that you know that's what you're going to see and people are going to play now. It but does feel weird when, uh, per, from a personal perspective, when you hear about yeah certain companies where they'll have one person will make all the design decisions. I can understand that if I was working with Miyamoto or something like that, he's probably going to be better than me at making design decisions, and I would just bow to his his greatness. But I think inspiration can come from anywhere on a team, regardless of their seniority, regardless of the discipline they're working on. And everyone should be allowed to, you know, put forward ideas in a, you know, an open forum because you, you don't know, yeah, you know, and well, you don't know who's going to have that that bit that's going to change it from a, just a, a good game to a great game. All brilliant points, and I want to go back to the point about you know, having vast teams. I mean, some games have thousands of now, a cast of thousands yeah. working on throughout the world you know doing various bits and there's someone or some a group another group of people trying to bring it all together to deliver yeah, this we've worked on some of them thing. yeah um, probably can't i won't mention any no i'm sure i'm sure i mean many yeah. many developers have been brought into i mean uh breath of the world zelda breath of the world has had people from um xenoblade the people who make that this has recently yeah. come out they were brought in to help with the zelda game i thought really he said yes Someone else from outside Nintendo come in and said, "Yeah, we can help you with this," and it's 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 extraordinary things. So, yes, collaboration is is very key. And he, yes, the person who's been spent spent the last six months making pots, which the player will probably smash during the game, <laughs> um, has you know has an input, has something to say. 
Um, and uh, and they should be listened to. You're right. So, I mean, this question is it's kind of my favourite question because it gives me a hint to, to what gets you going uh, as opposed to one who's creating or one who's consuming. What are you playing right now? <laughs> I am playing... So I've just... Well, Stardew Valley on my Switch because I just finished um, Mario Odyssey. Well, I got to about 310 moons on Mario and then I decided that was probably it for me um, just the time but then I'm, I'm, so I'm switching between Stardew Valley Assassin's Creed and then Battlefront um, 2 because um, uh, and FIFA with my son so I'm playing four games at the go so a bit of FIFA because I can do that with my son Battlefront 2 just because it's Star Wars yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, regardless of what anyone says it's Star Wars and it's it's quite simple Assassin's Creed just because I love I, you know I've, the last few since um, you know, Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood I loved so much but then I haven't played any of the, the ones since then really and it was I, you know, I thought it was about time I go back because you, know, you got to that point where games were coming out year after year after year versions you just realise that you know you need that little bit of break from them sometimes and it's nice to have that break and then go back to it so it's those four and obviously um we've been playing a lot of shooty fruity but uh um i'm i was i touched on the new assassin's creed but then i've just been sinking my time into cod world war ii um it's that time of the year where you've asked us. Everyone just gets the... It's, this, it's, it's blockbuster the blockbuster time of the year, season. isn't it? It's always much more interesting in the middle of the okay. year. Yeah. Um, I must admit, I've drifted off into pen and paper stuff and role-playing games recently, but uh, I say recently, I've been playing it for years, but that's, that's been... It takes a lot of time when you delve into that world. For me, um, having, having yeah. just finished a game and just been really intense, sort of with our heads down, developing, sort of playing something like COD is the sort of perfect respite to, mm. you know, the production values are obviously astonishing mm. and you can just lose yourself and you know what you're going to get. It's it's challenging from a, play, you know, sometimes, but it's just a, a sort of a feast of kind of, of, of high value experience, you know, interactive cinema, really. Um, and when having just finished a game that we've been making, it's just a lovely kind of, I'm just going to go do this because I know what I'm going to get, and that's perfect right now. You did mention going pen and paper, though. I have just bought my children Talisman, which we've been playing. Um, how because... you find, yeah, how are you finding that? That's the uh, board game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's the board game, which I remember playing back in the probably the 80s or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's okay. They, I did have that awful thing where we said, let's play our first game, and then yeah. I could see that I, my son was, who's, uh, was 11, was one dice roll from winning. He just had to roll a three or above and he didn't and then he had this really bad bit of luck for the next <laughs> however many <laughs> dice rolls and I ended up winning and it was uh, an awful situation where you're thinking you, know, you want to encourage your kids to do it and then just saying play this game that I played years ago and then just beating them at it so um, hopefully they're not listening to this and no. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll not hear that uh, but, uh, it's yeah, I think the board game the pen and paper board game stuff has been incredible the last five years it's just hmm. ridiculous now and it's nice to see. Nice to see. It gives a nice contrast. I think it's sort of uh, encouraged a lot of social sort of interaction as well. Okay. Yeah, well, it'll be good. It'll be good to see. Obviously, um, you know, I was watching Strange Things too the other day. Obviously, Stranger Things and stuff like that, and that's got all the old D and D stuff in it. And it'd be interesting yeah. If, yeah. if you know that brings some people into that um, sort of area because I obviously remember, yeah, back in the day, had my character. 
rolling polyhedral dice. Yeah. <laughs> Which a lot of people have never seen. I remember we mentioned D20 the other day, and someone here went, what's one of those? And I went, oh. <laughs> yeah, then you saw him a 20-sided dice, and like, that's insane. <laughs> yep. It is worth saying that in the office, in terms of what games we play, Overcooked and Gang Beasts are still oh. um, the ones that are doing the rounds here um, just for getting the team together and playing that. Although, yeah. Yeah. Gang Beast is um, what I call nerd fighting. <laughs> it's it's how, very good. It's, I do. I, I have, we have this ongoing argument that there's obviously no skill involved in it, and so if, you know. But then there is one guy here who does just keep winning at it. So right. we think there must be some skill. We just can't figure out what it is yet. And they're not going to tell you. Oh no, they're not going to tell you what they do. <laughs> That's what winners do. They never say give give away their secrets. <laughs> anyway, well, um, thanks for that. It's the end of the first half. Well done. You made it. Great. Past the first level. Excellent. Now let's go. We're going to delve deep into Shooty Fruity in the second yep. half. question first question it's not a question it's a request can you please tell us what is shooty fruity so shooty fruity is a vr game where you basically well you work in a a slightly futuristic supermarket where you've got to do your job at the same time as the gm modified fruit in the supermarket has decided to revolt and attack you and so it's basically about mixing the Slightly boring, not boring, the game's not, I don't want to describe the game as boring, the mundane day-to-day jobs that you might get in the supermarket with some quite extreme gunplay as you're shooting this giant GM-modified fruit. Um, And the way it works is the better you do at your job, the better weapons that get delivered to you along along the gunomatic, which is the... um, weapon delivery system which we assume that um you know every supermarket in the future will have uh, in certain countries and uh, and it's about mixing those two things and i think it's that mix of trying to do two jobs at the same time um and the, the frantic pace of it alongside the humor is what um we really want to get and works you know works well as a game and it's you know everyone who's played it so far has really enjoyed it and uh yeah, I, yeah. I mean i think yeah it comes back to what we were talking about earlier it's two or several, well, the, the core mechanics of working in a supermarket are pretty well understood and well known, as are, and sort of, you know, that again, we've had various people play it and say, oh, yeah, I used to work in a supermarket. Yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me. And you're like, brilliant, that's good. And then, you know, shooting guns, people, it's a very kind of, well, not necessarily a natural thing to do, but it fit, people get it immediately. It's, it's a tactile, it's a, tactile thing. Tactile everything thing, yeah. everything you have in the game, the VR game, people want to, you know, touch it, pick it up. They need to know what it is. And we were lucky in a way, and that, as Ben says, because people know how things in supermarkets work, they instantly know as soon as they pick something up, if they're standing behind a scanner, how to scan it. So, um, yeah, 
we were able to work build on that and uh, you know people know what guns do um and so getting that mixture has been yeah really good i mean also self-service tools means that everyone now has to scan stuff exactly so it's like oh yeah, yeah okay i'd rather not interact with a human i'm too busy <laughs> listening to a podcast thank you very much <laughs> so let's just do it myself there we go <laughs> and uh yeah, you're right. The contrast between the mundane and the ludicrous is, says it all about uh, shooty fruity. It's the best way I can describe it. it and I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's the one thing with each hand. What we, we find when people are doing it is as they start playing it more and more, they, they, they realise there's some uh, you know, tactile approaches they can do. So we end up with people who will be doing one task with their left hand, the other thing with their right hand. So they're trying to you know, fend off the fruit with, with the right hand, scanning stuff with their, their left hand, or they have other tactics where it's like, quickly do as much as one thing as possible and stockpile some weapons and then bring them out. And, you know, I think some a lot more depth has come out of the game than maybe we, we all assumed at the beginning. And we've kind of, like, grabbed that and started to, you know, and focused on it and tried to make sure that it's not just a, a five-minute experience, but it's something that people can, you know, get their teeth into and become, you know, a, a, a many hours of, of gameplay there. So, first, first design question to you I have is... Um, how have you designed the increase in pace of Shooty Fruity as more items arrive to scan as the sentient murderous fruit enters the <laughs> store, which is what I describe it as? I mean, for some reason they are sentient. Best not describe why. And they're not happy. Okay, yeah. not sure why. Um, and they want to kill you. <laughs> so um, what, that, what I'm getting at is that it starts off relatively sedate. You have a couple of... Like, you know, apples jumping in the background, getting a bit, you know, getting a bit... You can take them out from good old distance. Very quickly, it gets insane. How did you manage that that pace? What did you do, did you that, think? Well, that's an interesting one. So what we've been trying to do is, you know, with all these things, we we, we started out by designing what type of fruit do we want, what type of behaviour, what are their personalities, what are they, how are they going to attack you? Um, and then we thought about, you know, what are the, what's the job you're doing? And, and this whole mechanic of, you know, the better you work, the better your um, arsenal becomes. So what we then started doing was really focusing on just one single level at the beginning of the game and trying to get that right before we extrapolated some of the mechanics out somewhere else. And um, so we did a lot of playtesting in terms of what's the optimal time that people can be playing a VR game for because obviously they get tired and you don't want to be going too long. We then wanted to make sure we had the mixture of, you know, um, the intense periods where you're, um, the, the fruit might be attacking you alongside the bit, bits of time where you could be doing your job. And then we like the idea that, you know, you're ending on a bit of a crescendo at the end of a mission. So it's really about drawing this, when, when we first started, this emotional curve throughout um, a level and saying, you know, how do we want people to be, um, uh, you know. Spikes and troughs. Yeah, emotionally during this level where do we want to get the, you know, the balance so it's not just doesn't become too intense um all the time and and then you know when we you know develop the underlying systems that do that and we we give them to the, the designers who then go off and play it you know as to death and uh, tweaking everything until they, they feel there's something's happy with them you know the whole team gets together or play those um those levels and we'll just you know iteration i think is is the, is the key thing there um and just you know you've got to play your own game and you've got to constantly you know well sometimes it could be hard when you're developing a game to you know when you know how it works under the hood to 
to get here and you've been trying to debug it for the last hour to get up and actually play it. But I think, you know, one of the things we saw with this was it was something where a lot of, you know, majority of the team wanted to actually play it. And as I said before, would feedback on, on the design. So through that, you know, iterative process and everyone get involved, you can, we could slowly um, narrow down on the best way of, of, of pacing it. We also kind of, you know, there was a, there was a, I remember one afternoon where we sort of broke down all the key metrics that were sort of, were important to not just one level, but then every, every level that would make, could be put into the whole, whole game. We put those all onto post-it notes and we had a, across the whole wall, we worked out roughly what we wanted, where the level, where the levels would occur. So we've got the sort of, the, we've got the checkout level, the canteen and the packing level. We then worked out where we wanted to introduce the fruits because of all their different, you know, behaviors, whether they were rolling and bouncing or large fruit or flying fruit or the different types of attacks that they give you. Um, and then different types of uh, sort of missions, I suppose, or challenges that we give the player as they go through so that we've got this sort of balance. So it's not just done on a uh, mission by mission level to levels thing. It's basically everything as you go. There's a flow of sort of a, a curve that you that you enjoy, some ups and downs. There are some intense moments throughout the whole game as you play all the way through level to level. I mean, as with most games you can like make, I think there's a tendency sometimes to make them too, like from my perspective, make them too hard because you're developing it. If you're developing it over the course of a year, you become very good at it, and so it's it's very easy to to make it too hard. So when we first started, we'd have things like you're scanning the fruit, and yeah, you, know, you had to get the barcode in the right place and scan yeah, and, and look for that and scan it, and we, so we that was in there, and then you had to put it down a certain chute, um, which was highlighted, and we had all these mechanics. Which were there, which were great, and they are in the game, but in later levels. But instantly, when you're just when you're initially just designing it, you think, yeah, we can do that. We can put in this thing, and the game was incredibly hard. And so, you know, this has been, um, you know, by showing it to other people and, and doing those focus tests, they'll tell you where you need to simplify things, and then we could you could add in that difficulty later on because I think we don't want to get um, you know people to be just hit a block um, after you know. 15 an hour, minutes, an hour of gameplay or something like that. So it's about introducing those um, mechanics slowly throughout the course of the game so people don't feel overwhelmed. But it's also the game is, you know, it's very bright and colourful and really silly and it's therefore appropriate to a really wide cross-section of people, i.e. of all different ages. So you can play it, we can play it, we play it with our kids and that sort of thing. And, you know, you've got to allow for them having you know some people have never done vr as well before so you want them to be able to enjoy it as much as you as much as a more advanced player so we what we've done is built into the game are the challenge stars so there's there are reasons once you've played through there are reasons to go back to earlier levels you'll have been able to earn uh juice points so you can unlock new weapons and go back and and, and you know three gold star earlier levels and that sort of thing so for for more advanced players there are ways to go through but then go back and yeah. ace there's, it there's challenges that encourage different types of, of gameplay. gameplay and ways of playing um uh, levels and i think that's what you know games need that they need to you know encourage exploration as well so players can will will play it we find and then they won't be able to figure out how to do a certain challenge but then as they you know 
try different things or do a later level, they'll be like, oh, I could have done it this way, and they'll come back and so they can try and uh, be the completionist and get all the stars. My second question concerns... Yes. Um, there's a very strong vein of dry humour throughout Shooty Fruity. Yeah. How has this influenced the gameplay, if any? I think it's... In a way, as soon as we... Once we realised that the, the whole premise of the game was stupid... Not stupid, <laughs> but it is. It's, it's absurd. It's, you're working I, in a supermarket I, where you have a conveyor of heavy artillery coming across above you, yes. and then being attacked by mutant um, fruit. It's very hard to go serious after you've you've that's what you've decided that's what your and, game's going to be. And you still and have to scan the, like, stuff. That's the thing. You still have to do the food. I mean, you could yeah. <laughs> But I think once you've got that and you just realise that anything goes. But if you get distracted and all you do is shoot, then all the all the all the stuff that you need to scan, all the stuff that you need to pack, pack, it all starts to build up and it all starts to get sort of it. It becomes you get on that sort of fine sort of end of sort of stressful gaming versus sort of enjoyment, and it's just exciting and it's you know and and there's there's humor in that just you know doing people's heads in frustrating people sometimes and that's been a real sort of fine balancing point because you don't want to stress people out too much but yet you do kind of to uh make sure that they enjoy it and the script you know and then when we write the script it's you know we've tried to add this element that whilst all this silly stuff is happening the 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 voiceover that you're hearing from the the tannoy from the the headquarters is very dry. It doesn't even, you know, react to the fact that the entire supermarket is getting destroyed and you're being attacked by the fruit. It's constantly just telling you, you know, get on with your job. Um, and I think once we had that premise, then it was easy to you know, extrapolate that to, um, yeah, writing a script. Each time you think, you know, fruit are funny. Um, every time you th- we, we thought of, can we add this fruit, we'd suddenly start thinking, right, what would its behavior be? How would it... How would it react? How would it, if it could, if it was sentient and could attack you, how would it attack you? Um, uh, which which is, is quite fun in itself. You know, we, you have, when you're sitting down and having a discussion of like, if a mango um, came alive, how would it try and kill me? Is a, is a discussion we've never probably had in any other game yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, had, we had an argument over how many, <laughs> over bananas, when they peel, there was a big discussion over how many bits of peel it has. Yeah. Because some games have, or some think references have the four bits appeal, other ones have the three, and so we had this great debate. Great debate, um, which split the entire team of yeah, four. how many bits appeal <laughs> should it have? But it, you I know, think we went with the Mario Kart as being the three. Um, three. Oh, okay, we went with three. Fair enough. But um, yeah, it's I just love the fact that that's um, the whole droning sort of announcer, like I'm about to die. It just carry on. <laughs> Please stop. just do what you're supposed to do. That'll be good. Yeah. You know, no health and safety assessment at okay. all. <laughs> so, um, this reminds, this sort of leads me on to my next question. Most of my stuff does is that the sensory feedback to the player for every <laughs> little thing they do is very pleasing. I find it anyway. Hmm. Was this a design philosophy that you had throughout the creation of Shooty Fruity? Is this something you always said? This has to be. Yes, I think it has to be because you're so immersed in, in VR and you've got the controllers in your hands and you've got the vibration that they bring. It, there's this tactile nature to it that you have to, it has to be believable. And if it's, 
if you, if you break that, but unlike other games where you can, you know, people can step away from it, if it doesn't feel that you're there, the, the game falls apart, which was why we had to, when we were thinking about the, 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 the hub, the, the, the staff room, which is where you um, are before um, you actually play the games, it, we were thinking about, okay, so you have to buy weaponry. It would be, what's the, what's the place where we can go and do weaponry? Everyone's like, it's a vending machine. Everyone's had a vending machine and you know how to press the buttons and you know how to look at it and it falls down. It has, you know, that's something which you don't have to teach someone how to use. Um, and then we wanted to put in, you know, where you get leaderboards, where you change your options and instantly it's like classic okay. arcade machine at cabinets. Again, everyone just knows, you know, I can grab, um, you know, how to move, you know, grab the joystick and press the buttons and, and navigate through them. And so I think every time you're, when you're making these type of games, you have to try and find a real world object that people can refer to. And sometimes that can be tricky because, you know, the game is, does have some silly moments and some of the stuff you're trying to make is, there isn't a real world um, yeah. comparison. And so, but you know, people, we found that people like levers, people like buttons, people like holding guns in their hands and the bigger they are and the stupid they are, they, they like, um, there, are, there are other things with like very early on we knew that we wanted to have the player to have both their hands with something to do so you could be shooting two guns or you could be sh holding one hand shooting and one hand scanning so very early we decided that we wouldn't reload the weapons so basically you would shoot bang 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 and then gone but we needed to absolutely reinforce that to the player. So that's why they shatter into pieces, bits fall off. There's a bit, you know, there's a little puff of smoke, a little shockwave around it. So absolutely reinforces. So there is no, you know, it's like, oh, do I have to reload now? It's like, no, you, it's out, it's busted, it goes, you throw it. Next, you move on. So it's all those sort of little kind of reinforcements to design decisions that have been really important to it. Yeah. And grenades, you know, we had a grenade thing. I remember when we first did them, we spent a lot of time, you hold the grenade in one hand, pull a pin out with the other. But then we, we put it, we had someone come in the office and play the game. And the first thing they did was try and pull the pin out with their teeth. And it was like, oh, we've never, we, we hadn't really thought about, you know, pulling the pin out with your teeth. But suddenly we had to, you know, it was like, we have to put that in there. So... Yeah. Now you can, you know, because otherwise you're using two hands. So it's instantly, as soon as you just, if you've got a grenade in your hand, bring it up to your, your mouth and uh, you pull a pin out with your teeth and then you can throw it. So um, <laughs> it's, it's that, that, yeah, I mean, my final question is how tactile the game is. Well, how tactile everything is. You can pick up bits of paper, cards, punch cards, buttons. Everything's just big and oversized, but to sort of, and that's that. That's clearly something you started off from the outset. You wanted it to be this way, to be yeah. so sort of cartoon-like, yet familiar. Yeah, we want pieces of paper people are used to picking up. We did have, I don't think they, they, I don't know if they made it in Final Game, we did a post-it notes which were everywhere, um, and which were at the beginning going to give you instructions. And we had, you'd start off the game, there'd be hundreds of little post-it notes on every piece of thing. But there, then um, there were definitely things there. I think, I think again, it comes back to the, the decisions were made that if, if we're going to put something in the world, you should, and it's near enough, you should be able to pick it up and do something with it. So, you know, because and especially in VR, whether that, you know, you need to be able to have that sort of cause effect, that sense of interaction, um, that was really important to it. So, and then there are other things that happen, you know, if you do certain things in the world when you're shooting things, things smash or crash down, whatever, you know, we wanted all of that to be part of it. So again, it just sort of, 
again, it all comes down to making the person or the player just feel like, yeah, I'm really here in this crazy supermarket doing all these silly jobs and I'm really the fruit are really there too and it's sort of it's we try and do everything to help not well, shatter the, that it's illusion the, yeah, it's the fruit as well people started trying to grab them when we saw them playing it when they because they jump on the counter and then it was suddenly it's like okay um we you know you've got to be able to catch the fruit so if you're quick enough and you can catch a fruit you can hold it and then it's obviously you can point a gun and it's that it's it hasn't got a head it's got a well add it, add it. It. and it obviously looks sad because you're holding a um a gun, a, gun to, a gun to an apple's face uh, <laughs> is terrifying. We did have, you know, there was people, there's one thing we did drop were people going, what happens if they, you know, if they get guns? What happens if I point them to my head? Is that a way to exit out of the game or something like that? And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. no, no, no. no. Um, but there's definitely certain things where yeah, if anything is around you, as Ben says, you need to be able to grab it, touch it, interact with it, and it needs to respond mm-hmm. um, accordingly. I think also the mess you leave at the end. Yeah. And uh, it's also generated more mess because the level ends and you get confetti and balloons dropping down on you, which again you can still interact with. And like, is it over? Yeah, yeah. But look, it's mess. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the wonderful thing about being in VR. You just got to let people just enjoy the space in the sense of it doesn't matter that uh, you know that the you know the key event is just finished. But there's got to be something to do and knock about whilst you're reading, you know, at the end of at the end of each turn, whatever, you get your kind of monitor screen in front of you that gives you what you may have leveled up or unlocked or whatever. And you get your print out and you can check and you can choose to go again. But you need to be able to really enjoy every moment that you can when you're in VR. There's always something to do. And we did originally have some some challenges where they were tied into not causing damage to the store and whilst that fitted into you know maybe a, a good gameplay mechanic of, of being really you know being a good shot and not hitting other produce in the store it, people found it extremely unsatisfying because people like destruction and so they, you know, there were things which we took out just because people like breaking breaking stuff. things there's nothing more <laughs> satisfying than breaking stuff so it's like okay we're not going to make that part of the game that you don't break stuff let's just embrace the breaking yeah and uh see how much chaos you can cause the other thing just i mean just going back to something that you know in terms of thinking about think we were thinking about the player and it may have been tom that came up with this um from end dreams i think and it was about so when you're in the staff room one of the things we wanted to be able to do is you know obviously some people may be standing up, some people may be sitting down to play the game, but we've given on, on when you're in the staff room, when you're at the sort of the main uh, locker, the player locker, you can set the heights of, of, the, of the workstations in front of you and you can set the heights of mm. the uh, gun rail above you all independently. So you can really uh, customize that to your, 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 your personal preferences and your heights and you, you can have a play around with that and I think that that again that was a sort of a nod to the importance and a realisation that one size doesn't fit all in VR and it's important to acknowledge that but also try and accommodate it and give yeah. just to really maximise the experience for that person we wanted children to be yeah. able to play we wanted people in, if they're in wheelchairs to be able to play it we wanted to make sure that you know regardless of how you know how tall you are, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, anything like that, that mm. people could enjoy it. And I think that's something which, yeah, as Ben says, you, you have to do in, in VR. And I think we, you need to be aware of, of your audience and you know, um, 
how everyone is a little bit different and uh, give them the opportunity to customize the space around them. So they get the very best of what you're giving them, basically. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I personally stand. Uh, I like to do that. Um, yeah. But, uh, and it's just, a, just a thing that I found more... And it's just, it seems to be more immersive when you do that. Uh, and it's good to stand, anyway. <laughs> it's good for you to stand rather than to continue to sit. And, and, uh, and it, this, you design it in such a way that, you know, uh, it is good for bursts of an hour, no more. Uh, and many, I find myself getting really, you know, I mean, how the Skyrim works and VR, like, has anyone thought this through? <laughs> this is a big old game. And like, okay, well. But, we uh, definitely designed it as a game which I think people can spend a lot of time in there, but they need to have the little little break between it. And we found it works quite well if you, there's a few people there because they'll just swap the headset around after each go and take it in turns in a level and they can try and you know, beat high scores, but also just progress through. And having that little bit of a break after, you know, we, we fight, when we first started making um, the game, we had levels which were, you know, Average level that was eight to twelve minutes long, and that was just felt way too long for um, how long you're playing. And, and when you're in that environment, you know, three to four minutes is actually seems a lot longer than it that actually is. So especially with the intensity, sometimes you're yeah. like, you, you, people come out exhausted. So um, which is cool. <laughs> it's odd that people don't realise how long a minute really is. Mm. It's a bit strange. People think it lasts about you know thirty seconds. It really doesn't. It's much longer than you realise, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's you, you're spot on really with the three to four minutes. Beyond that, because of the intensity and the pace, you just get exhausted. And then when you get exhausted, you get you start making errors and you start getting frustrated, which is the bane of any video game. Once you get frustrated, you've lost them. You know, yeah. you've lost them. And there is obviously a marathon mode where you can uh, um, you can do each job for up to I think ninety nine minutes. Um, <laughs> Which is our nod to the hardcore players of the world, which yeah, uh, would be interesting. Yeah. And uh, you know, we've had to tell some of the guys here, can you test marathon mode, please? And every time you say that, <laughs> you see that they go out there. You know, Harry, who is, who is a designer here, we usually go, can you do test marathon mode again? And he goes, right, goes to get himself a, a glass of water, has that, and then starts, and then hopefully doesn't die after yeah, 70 minutes and uh, <laughs> start again. That's incredible. Well, gentlemen, uh, it's been fantastic talking to you about Shooty Fruity. It's currently out on Vive and Oculus Rift, is that right? It's coming out on the 19th of December on Vive, Oculus Rift and um, PSVR. PSVR. Oh, right, okay. And um, like I said, I've experienced the... What was it on EGX? What were you showing off? It was Vive, the version, wasn't it? Uh, At EGX, it was on Rift. It was yeah. on Rift, sorry, I can, yeah. difficult to tell because I personally have PSVR. So, um, but um, no, it's been fantastic hearing your stories about your past and also your design decisions on Shooty Fruity, which is an exceptionally fun game and one that uh, yeah. people need to experience. It's, it's just Hopefully ridiculous. they will. That'll make us very happy. Yes, it will. Make you a wonderful <laughs> at the end of the year for you. But yeah. um, I do wish you the very, very best of luck uh, with it. And your future endeavours, and you're more than welcome to come back on to talk about those if you wish. Thank you very um, much. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much, and wish you the best of luck. Thanks a lot. Cheers. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream 
the show from there. You just look up The Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the Stablemate podcast, shall we say, of spong.com. Bye!